0: Before we start, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for your blood. I pray that each of us would look look back at that power, look back at your blood and, and remember what we have in you. I pray that you would change our hearts, God. Get us excited about it. Give us joy and give us peace, but get us excited about it. Help us to want to obey what you have for us today. And I, I thank you and praise you for being such a great God. In your name, amen. So while we get started here, you can turn over to Acts 3. And as we've gone through this uh, journey together through Acts, I hope, that, I hope that it's wanted you. To, it's made you want to read Acts for one. Like That's kind of the point of it, is that you come in here and learn just a tiny bit about what it has to say. And you want to go back and find out for yourself what else it has to say. But also that you would start to look um, look at the church differently. Look at how we are as a church differently and what your part is. And also how to respond when Satan's trying to distract you. And when Satan is trying to derail you. Uh, I think most of us know that when you look around at the church in America, there's an issue. Uh, We don't always know exactly what it is, but we know that there is an issue. The church tends to be lukewarm. The church tends to be hypocritical. The church tends to be uh, sort of (coughs) meaningless to a lot of people. And We look at Jesus and coming to Jesus now as, well, as long as he can do something for me, I'll come, I'll come. You know, our culture is so materialistic. Everything's got to be, how can I get more? How can I have more money? How can I have more of whatever? How can my kids be better? So we look at it as though, you know, if I come to Jesus, well, he better show up for me then. I'm going to go to church like he told me to, but he better show up. I want him to fix everything. You know, and that's just sort of the, it's sort of how the church adapts to the culture rather than the culture adapting to the church. Um, and so Jesus turns into your genie, he's your wish upon a star. You know, Jesus is just there to get you through the hard things. Um, and you don't have anything to show for you, you don't have any real relationship with him. So today we're going to look at two chapters in Acts just like we have been in the last few weeks. And we're going to see. God does have your best in mind. He does love you. He does want what's best for you. But if you aren't drawing close to him, if you aren't in a personal relationship with him, you're not likely to see what he's actually doing in your life. You're probably going to miss what he's doing in your life. And if you aren't drawing close to him, then your definition of what is good in your life won't be the same as his. You'll be focused on the fact that you don't have enough money for the car, rather than all the other blessings that he's given you throughout the week. Okay, so today we're going to continue to look at God's plan for the church and Satan's response. And I hope everyone here knows, like this is no joke, Satan has lost, right? Satan's lost this battle and he knows it. Amen. Amen. But he wants to take your families, he wants to take your co-workers, he wants to take your parents, he wants to take your kids... He knows he's lost and he wants to take all those people with him to hell. That's his goal. That's why he's still working. He knows he's lost but he's going to have some friends and he wants all those people around you, all those people you care about to go with him to hell. Well, so let's not miss what he's trying to do here and why it's important to him to make our churches ineffective. If he makes our churches ineffective, he takes all your friends and your family with him to hell. So let's not miss it. It's important. Um, So with that in mind, open up to Acts 3 if you haven't, and we're going to see that God's plan for his church is greater than Satan's response. He does love you. He does want you to draw close to him. Alva, could you turn me down just a little bit when you get a chance? It might get a little louder today. All right, so this is a very famous passage. Um, This is, most people are familiar with it, so let's dive right in. Verse 1, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg by those, where he was put every day to beg uh, for those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened. So we'll stop there for now. First thing I want you to see, and this is something that God has laid on my heart every time I've read through this passage is what are Peter and John on their way to do? And how often do you think they do that? Sounds like at 3 o'clock, they go every single day. And actually, the Jews at this time were going more like three times a day to the temple to pray. So when we want to expect to go do something for God, a lot of times you're on your way to be obedient to Him, right? They were being obedient. They were drawing close to Him every day. So that's the first part. These guys were on their way to do the right thing, And when you draw, when you're doing the right thing, that's often when God speaks the loudest. It's often when he gives you the most opportunities and he makes your way the most clear. Okay, so on their way, they see a lame man. He's been lame all of his life. He goes to that temple every single day. Do you think that's the first time they've seen him? That's not the first time they've seen him. Probably every day they go to the temple, they see this lame man. Today's going to get a little different for him, though. Today's special. Peter and John have recently received the Holy Spirit. They're now no longer following Jesus. They're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. They have no reason to question it. If the Holy Spirit leads, they do it. They just saw fire come down from heaven and brand them and their friends. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then they could speak in every language. They have no reason to doubt the Holy Spirit's power. Take that as some application. You also have no reason to doubt that the Holy Spirit can work like this. And so being led by the Holy Spirit, they look at him. And without even a trace of doubt, probably, at this point, why should they doubt? They've seen other miracles. They say, get up. I don't have money for you. That's that gospel of prosperity that we talked about a few minutes ago. I don't have that money for you. But if you want to walk, how about I've got something better for you? And he gets up and walks. Please note, the Holy Spirit has begun shaping them. When they follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, they saw that man as Jesus would have seen him, and instead of walking by like they had done every every other day, the Holy Spirit is showing them this is how Jesus would look at him. So he's changing their eyes, and the Holy Spirit is helping them um, See that it has nothing to do with how much human power you have. How important was that person? How important was that beggar? If we're talking human terms, how important was he? He wasn't. He wasn't. Most of us would say, I can't get any use out of him. I'm not going to do anything with him. That's how we kind of work. Jesus taught them because he picked them. It doesn't matter how influential you are, Right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have picked uneducated fishermen or tax collectors. He wouldn't have picked these awful, you know, people with awful histories. He would have picked influential, godly such-and-suches. Now they're looking at it like Jesus looks at it. That soul of that lame man is just as important as the king. So they're changing how he looks. Okay, so they're prompted by the Holy Spirit to speak to this man, and they see him in a whole new light. They don't offer him silver or gold. Um, But they offer him something far greater, and he walks. This man has never known what it is to walk. Have you ever seen a baby try to walk? So this man, even though he probably is my size, has never walked. It would be the first time for him. He's completely restored. Those muscles that I'm sure before that were almost not there, are now restored, so that he can walk and jump and praise God. Um, If someone came into church today and they were saved, and their response was to walk and leap and praise God, our very practical sensibilities for a minute would be like, what is wrong with that person? Isn't it funny how our practical sensibilities are always like, oh, that person looks like they're having some joy in their life. How stupid of them. How ridiculous of them. Why in the world would they ever have joy? So if someone came in here and ran around and they were jumping for joy because they were saved, I hope that your heart can be changed a little bit because that's that's the appropriate response. That's the appropriate response when this person's saved. When that man was saved... The angels in heaven were throwing a party. The least we can do is get excited about it. Amen? Amen. So Peter and John were the answer to someone's prayer that day. They were the answer to someone's prayer that day. Now that's how the church works. You all, literally, could be the answer to someone's prayer today. Are you seeking to find where that is? Are you following the leading of the Holy Spirit to find where that is? Because this is how the church works. He's not, he, will, he will use you every day if you want to be used every day. You won't have a boring day. If you're willing to be used, he'll use you every day. You just have to be seeking it. So let's pick it up in verse 11. Acts 3.11 While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. All right, so we'll pause there. Peter shows some pretty great self-awareness right here if i had just healed somebody i could probably have some false humility with you guys and be like boy look at how well god works but there's something innate in us that wants to say but look at who he used to do it look how exciting that is boy he used somebody pretty great for that peter stops that right away don't look at me he says look at who really did this and why are you afraid this is the same God who uh, gave Abraham and Sarah a baby when she was too old. Is that a miracle? Of course it is. This is, the same God, um, this is the same God that brought Jacob into Egypt so his family wouldn't starve. This is the same God that saved Isaac with a ram. Don't get, don't get mixed up. This Jesus, he was the Messiah. We serve that same God of the Old Testament. And there's still power there. All right, so we'll pick up in verse 14. He's going to give him a message today. Here we go. You disown the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are, witness, we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you, whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. That has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled <clears throat> what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Verse 19, very important. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that, the time, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send, send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Amen. Okay, so just like last week, Peter has gotten some attention, right? Last week it was because the Holy Spirit came down and there was the sound of a tornado. This time it was... That, that beggar that everyone knew who couldn't walk, now he can walk. And everybody wants to know what is going on. And he takes that attention and what's he do with it? He turns it back to Christ. He waits about three seconds and then he turns it back to Christ. If you have somebody's attention, and how often do we miss this? I was thinking about it this week. Times I've had people's attention at church, or at work, at work, because of something nice I did for someone else because I'm a Christian. I did something nice for someone else because I was a Christian, and I got attention for that, and did I do anything with it? Did I say why I did it? Did I, did I send the praise? Did I send it back to him and say, well, of course I did that. That's what Jesus wants me to do. Or did I say, oh, thanks, yeah, I'm a pretty nice guy. Yeah, I, I did that nice thing for that person. I'm a pretty nice guy. You know? It's, it's, but he turns it right back. He reminds them again of their heritage. This happens all the time in Acts because they're just coming out of the Old Testament into the New. And he says all those prophets, all of those prophets, they talked about Jesus. He's he's, he's always making the case for, we witnessed Jesus. We walked with Him. We saw Him die. And then we saw Him get raised from the dead. He's constantly saying, we're witnesses to it. You can believe us. We saw Him ascend. Not only that, all that scripture you were taught as kids, he fulfilled every bit of it. He fulfilled it. He says, repent from your wickedness. I know you were, you were mixed up with those leaders and you guys were all you know, sort of messed up. You called for Jesus to be killed. But the prophets said you would anyway. So now it's time to get past that. Repent. Repent from your wickedness and turn to God so that your sins that have you bound for hell will be wiped out. He says, now is the time of the church. Now now you guys are going to go out and do the blessing. These miracles going on around you, they're not just for your entertainment. They're not just to make you feel good. It's time to make a change. Okay, so Peter's gospel is not one of prosperity. Does he promise them anything monetarily, power? Does he promise them anything? He doesn't. He does not promise them a life filled with anything but refreshing. Doesn't refreshing kind of sound good, though? We can raise our kids to think that the most important things are money and education and prosperity and they can all grow up and resent us. And what kind of deal did you just turn in? They can resent you, they can resent church, they can resent God. What was more important? That your kid got all straight A's all the time and looked good to everyone around you? Or... That they loved people, that they learned how to be like Christ. What's more important? And often we mix this up. We miss this one. Okay, so we're looking at God's will for his church. And so what's God's will for his, for his church from Acts 3? This one's, this one's pretty easy, I think. I don't have to give you anything. Let's just summarize what Peter and John did. On their way where? Where, did, where were they going? They were going to church. On their way to spend time with God like they did every day. Following the Holy Spirit's prompting, they looked at a man like Jesus would have looked at him. They followed again the Lord's the Holy Spirit's prompting to heal him. Crowd comes around because something cool just happened. They pointed him back to Jesus, said, Look, there's proofs, there's there's proofs, my life is proof. You can do this exact same thing. You can give a testimony that says, My life. Is proof that Jesus lives. Does Jesus live today? He does. Your life should be a proof of that. He sh- you should have something to say about it. It's a be- this, what they did is a beautiful picture of what the church's daily life should be. They acted without fear. They acted without any fear. Oftentimes, fear is what drives us. Fear can drive humans. Fear can make you, can incapacitate you. It can stick you in a room. There's people who stay in a room for years because they are afraid to come out into the world. We see this all the time. Fear is, is a paralyzing agent. These guys acted without it. Do you know why that is? Why were they able to act without fear? Holy Spirit. The message, the power... Everything comes from God, so I don't have to worry about the rest of it. The message is so much greater than the messenger that I don't have to worry about it. God will do what he's going to do. The Holy Spirit will work the way he's going to work. They didn't have to worry about it. Okay, we're going to turn over to Acts 8. We're going to see how Satan responds to him. Satan responds to the church. Context here is where we left off last week. Stephen just got stoned in kind of this, actually this sort of beautiful thing where he was not afraid. And he looks up and sees Jesus at the right hand of God. And he's ready to go. He's ready to go. Um, Saul and others, though, are going to start to persecute the church. And we're going to see Satan's response. One of his better tricks is fear. And perpetuating fear. Um Saul looks around and says, look at this church of people. This doesn't look like a fad to me anymore. I just saw somebody die whose face looks like an angel. This is making me a little uncomfortable. We've got to exterminate these people. We've got to get rid of these people. I, he, he can't deal with it anymore. So they're not to be tolerated. All right. So we'll go right to Acts 8. Now this verse almost feels like it should have been at the bottom of Acts 7, but it's kind of like drawing your attention back to it. It's your attention back to Saul for a second, and it just says by, all by itself, and Saul approved of their killing him. Speaking of Stephen, that's how we just left. Now we'll go on. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women to prison. Okay, we'll stop there for a second. So we're confronted right away with it. Satan's response is, is this fear. How do you think you would have felt if you were a new Christian at this time? You don't know who's next. You don't know what they're gonna do to you. Some people are being killed. Some people are being put in jail. I remember in a past series I talked about what jail is in this. If you don't have friends to come feed you in jail, they just let you die. Jail was not like, oh, I'm gonna go have three hots on a cot. Jail was, they put you there, and if you weren't rich enough, you died in jail. <clears throat> so they didn't want that. Natural response to this would be fear. Um, but we're about to see God's divine plan. God's divine plan is far greater than Satan's response to his church. Let's pick up in verse four. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to him. For with shrieks impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. (laughs) So these people who are fairly brand new Christians are being persecuted. And I don't know what you imagine when you see persecution. There were people who were, families were being torn apart. Fathers were being taken to prison. You know, people who already didn't have much, they were getting polished off. Okay, your home's being taken from you. Persecution, they're being driven out. But as they go, what's their number one priority? They're spreading the gospel. They're spreading the gospel. They're not so worried about their lives. They saw Stephen. They're going out and they're preaching the gospel. Primarily up until this point, the church was located where? Who knows where the church was located? Up, it was in Jerusalem. Where did Jesus tell them they were going to go? He told them the ends of the earth. But for the time between the Holy Spirit coming and Acts 8, they hadn't gone anywhere yet. They had stayed in Jerusalem. Who knows how long that is? Anybody know about how long that is? Two years. Two years they stayed put. You can look at that two ways. Now, essentially, two-year-old Christians are being persecuted and pushed out of their homes, and they're spreading the gospel like crazy. How many two-year-old Christians in America would do that? How many 20-year-old Christians in America would be able to put up with persecution and spread it like crazy like that? This is, this is awesome. This is awesome. Um. These people were living out God's plan for his church. They were close to him daily. They were learning from him all the time. They were loving one another. And on their way to seek him, they were given opportunities to share Christ in response to terror. Their faith was growing stronger every day. Jesus was the most important thing. And I think that's the only way two-year-old Christians could do that. Is if Jesus is the most important thing to you, and you're in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're learning, and you're seeking after him, that's the only way. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit at that point to do what these people did. All right, let's pick it up in verse 9. For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, (laughs) and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, And proclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he was amazed, he had amazed them for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Christ of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere he went, astonished by the great signs and miracles. Okay, so finally, Philip's out there. He's out of Jerusalem into Samaria. Easy way to look at this is Jews from Jerusalem looked down on the ones from Samaria because they were usually not full-blooded Jews. They had cross-bred with other bloodlines. Then you have this this side story about Simon the sorcerer, um, which feels weird here, honestly, until you read it a few times and you're like, what is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of the story about Simon the sorcerer? Um, so simon sees his influence leaving right philip comes in with a much greater message and these people are responding to it and they're getting baptized and simon's looking around like how do i get how am i going to be powerful still i liked it the way it was so he follows philip and he's going to see what he does Um, peter and john are going to come out because they actually don't believe that samaria is being saved it's, the text says that some, we got to send people out to go prove why in, we don't believe those guys are being saved. Those guys are the heathens. What are you talking about? That they're getting saved. So Peter and John go out to see what's going on. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. We'll skip down just a little bit. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on, <clears throat> when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, "Give me this ability." So that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of your wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Still only thinking about himself. Pray to the Lord so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So the essence of this is awesome. Peter and John are now in Samaritan villages. They weren't there a few weeks ago. This is awesome. And God's working there the Holy Spirit is going from Jerusalem and just sort of blossoming out. It's, it's spreading like crazy now. And then you still have Simon trying to figure out how can he be a part of it and offers them money. Now that sounds ridiculous, right? To offer somebody money so that you can lay hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. Like how does it even work like that? It doesn't work like that. It's weird. But how many of us over our lifetimes have said, I've given to the church. I've given plenty to the church. I'm good. God's going to bless the fact that I've been given to the church all these years. Well, of course he is, but that's not, that's not the way to buy your salvation, is it? No. He was trying to buy something here, and he actually was trying to buy something so he could make more money. If you can lay your hands on and give people healing and the Holy Spirit, you're going to make other money. Peter rebukes him pretty hard and tells him to repent. All right, so there's a lot here, and we're not going to get into all of it today. Um, One thing I don't want you to miss about the story of Simon, though, is that some people have a head knowledge of salvation, and they pick up church traditions really well, and they're going to come face-to-face with Jesus one day, and he's going to say, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. They agreed with the message. It sounds good intellectually, but like Simon, there's never been any change in their heart. Everybody's familiar with James 2.19. It says this, You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief in your head is not going to be what gets you to heaven. An intellectual saying, yeah, I like that story. That sounds really good. I believe that. Head knowledge is not enough. The New Testament is full of Christians. All of them imperfect, but all of them had fruit in their lives. There's no examples of a Christian who doesn't also have fruit in their life. Um, So this example of Simon is for us to see what it looks like when you don't have heart change. You need an example of it? Here he is. He believed it. He was baptized. He wanted to go with the crowd. But there was no change in his heart. Most everyone in this room has been in church for a very long time. And I'm not doing you guys any favors by skipping over this point. Examine yourself, know your history, when were you saved? It's a simple thing, when were you saved? And what fruit have you seen in your life since then? I've heard people talk about saving like it's this over time I'm saved. Conversion is a point in time, maturity is over a period of time, right? Know when you were saved. It matters to me that you know when you were saved. Nothing else is, is, is as important. So I just want you to think about it. Examine yourselves. Know when you were saved. And on Community Sunday, of all Sundays, you should know. You should know when you're saved. <clears throat> all right. We're going to read on in a second here, and we'll finish up. The rest of this chapter is something to get really excited about. So it's okay to be excited. It's okay to have some joy today. If you experience fear at the thought of sharing the gospel... This is the passage for you, right? A lot of us experience fear when we think, I have to share the gospel. This is it. (laughs) That fear gets Satan laughing. Philip's response is what Satan doesn't laugh about. And um, as a speaker, I feel like this, this passage has changed. I don't know why I call myself a speaker. I don't even know what to call it. As someone who's been up here preaching to you guys, it changes how I view speaking. Do I want to give a message um, that is effective? Yes. Do I want to learn every week how to become more effective? You guys might not see that, but I do. I do want to. Every week I think about getting better. Of course I do. Do I want to give a message that if somebody new came in here would want to come back next Sunday? Yes, I do. Of course I do. But I'm not going to lose sleep over it because it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what I am. The power that comes from this is His Word and His Holy Spirit working in this community. It has nothing to do with me. And so I can blow. we can completely blow it in Sunday. I can pick all the wrong songs, and you guys can say, boy, that was terrible. And I can forget to call for offering, or I can call it in the wrong order, or I can forget to give you an announcement, or somebody can tell me they have a prayer request, and I can forget to announce it to everybody. But still, if the Word of God is read and preached from this pulpit, that could still be the Sunday that someone's life has changed. Right? Because God is working even when I'm failing. So this is what I want everybody to get. It's not just me. God is working even when I am failing. The message is what's important. The messenger is secondary to that. We'll pick it up in verse 26. I know we're going over a little bit, but we're just about done. All right. And this is the most exciting part. So here we go. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to that chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the message of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is awesome. He, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. (laughs) This is... Sometimes I think we read Scripture and just because it's Scripture, we're not as amazed by it as we should be amazed by this. This should wake you up. This should wake you up a little bit. Like, there's several things that just happened here that in normal daily life don't happen, right? Other than a teleportation, there's a few other things that that don't normally happen. So, first of all, again, Philip is following the prompting of what? To go see that, that eunuch. The Holy Spirit, again, He is going up to him. If you walked up to that eunuch, would he look like a poor beggar, uneducated person? He would not. He would look like a powerful, educated, rich person. Who here says that's the hardest person to give the gospel to? That's often the hardest person to give the gospel to. We're the most afraid of them. They're going to ask the hardest questions. They can somehow make us feel the dumbest. And we'd rather just not give it to them. I'd rather just stay away from those people. They're hard. Look at what happens. So Philip evidently gets over that really quickly and goes running. He's running up to the chariot. As he approaches, the eunuch is reading from Isaiah. Who did that work? Did Philip do that work? Did he get him reading Isaiah? No, the Holy Spirit did that. He's prepared everything. He's done all the work. The Holy Spirit has primed this powerful, an influential man to be ready for philip and that powerful and influential man is from a country that is ruled by a queen who they think his son is god do you think maybe that eunuch needs to go back and have an impression he does they think that the son of this queen is god so philip's approach is simple he asks him do you understand what you're reading eunuch says nope how can i how can how can i if no one explains it to me so Philip walks him through it. He says, you know that lamb who's going to the slaughter that you just read about? That's Jesus. He was just here. He's the Messiah. I'm going to tell you about him. Um, and then they go on. He gets saved at some point. And they come up to a pond or, or something. It says, what's stopping me from being baptized? Okay, first of all, it's kind of awesome. He wants to get baptized. He's ready to go. when you were baptized in the, in the old church, This was a real showing of I'm a changed person. It should be the same way now. I'm a changed person. So Philip baptizes baptizes him, and God, who has an awesome plan, says, I'm going to make an impression on this eunuch that he is never going to forget. He's never going to forget. Philip is going to baptize him. They're having a nice conversation. That eunuch is going to come back up, and Philip is gone. Philip is gone. And I don't know what that would do to you. But what he did was he kept going. He rejoiced and said, wow, that was a great conversion. I'm so glad I got baptized. And that eunuch, who do you think was the first missionary to Ethiopia? That eunuch was. That's awesome. That's awesome. God looked down at that situation. He was well pleased. He was pleased in the conversion, and he he was well pleased that Philip was obedient to him. That's what God's looking for. He doesn't need all your skills. He doesn't need you to be the best at anything, but he looked down and said, Philip, that's pretty awesome. You're obedient. I'm going to save you a trip. I need you over here as fast as possible. I'm going to save you a trip. I need you over here as fast as possible. And that unit goes on its way. So here it is quickly your application. We've seen it loud and clear from Peter, John, and Philip today. Making the ministry of Jesus the center of, li- of your life will make you bold. You're allowed to be bold, you're allowed to be excited. Don't be afraid if you don't have all the answers. So many times we don't, we don't spread the gospel because I, I have to say I don't know about something. Guess what? You're going to have to say you don't know about something. They're going to ask you the most random question. They're going to want to know about the universe or something that you probably don't know. And it's okay not to know. Show them you love them anyway. You're like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question, but here's what God's done for me. And let's look into that other one. Let's see what's going on there. The Holy Spirit's moving all around you and looking for your obedience. Your obedience is what happens. So the next time the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something, just do it. That's all I really have for you. Just do it. When you're sitting behind somebody in the grocery store and God's prompting you to talk to somebody or pay for somebody's groceries, guess what? That thought is not coming from your heart. If you have something selfless on your mind to go do for somebody, that is not coming from you. You can pretty much assume, oh yeah, that's the Holy Spirit knocking on my heart, because it's time for you to do something for that person. You're about to change that, and when you go down that road, you're going to be in a different place by the end of the day. God says, you want an awesome journey? Just obey me in a little thing. Obey me in a little thing, and I will show you great things. And when Satan comes roaring, just remember, all he can do is take from all he can do is take your life on this earth. And you know what? You have a greater destination. You have a greater destination. Look at, look at the life of Stephen and how many lives were affected by his death. One death. Look how many lives have been affected by him. You can't take your soul away. You're going to a better place. So the next time he's prompting you, just do it. Just get up, move, wherever it is, even if it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Call that person. Pray for that person. Go do whatever he's prompting you to do. And see what he'll do and then come back next week and tell me about it. It's all right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that here would be where we start a revival in this place. God, that we would see a revival like the the church in Acts saw. That we would have faith, that we would be obedient, that our entire lives, we'd be on our way seeking you so that we have opportunities to show those around us what faith in you can do. I pray that for all these people, God. I pray that you'll bless them. I pray that you'll open their eyes so that they see everyone around them like Jesus does. I pray that you'll give them caring hearts, softened hearts, and talk to people who have been around them forever that they've never talked to about the gospel. Empower us this this week. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go out from here with us and be strong with us. In your name, amen.